1: Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Preece with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley on Monday, December 12th. And we have quite a bit to talk about. Notre Dame hoops over the weekend, facing number one Villanova, uh, Aaron Banks. Notre Dame gets a verbal commitment. The NFL Draft, we had an update on that last week. And the premiere of uh, Catholics versus Convicts, on television anyway. And what came out of Irish Echoes and Pete Sampson was... The only one that was able to attend on Friday was the naming of seven captains uh, but we're very all very interested in just what the atmosphere is like at an Irish echoes for a four and eight Notre Dame football team.
2: I mean it was it was what you would expect I mean it was it was a little bit awkward and you know it, it's it's just a, it's a question of tone when you go 10 and two and you want to do more more like a roast style thing, I think it's funny players love it. When you're four and eight, and you do more of a roast style thing. I think it can get a it got a little bit awkward at times. Um, in terms of awards, Deshaun Kaiser was named uh, team MVP. Brian Kelly said that was a vote of the players. We Irish Illustrated did our own uh, staff awards last week, and we went with James Anawalu for that um,
0: unanimously. Yep. Unanimously,
2: James Anawalu. Uh, Equimente Say Brown was offensive player of the year and James Onowildo was Defensive Player of the Year. I think one of the things I enjoy most about that is the access to players that we never talked to. Uh, In this instance, it was Jonathan Jones, freshman linebacker who redshirted. He was scout team player of the year on defense. I mean, he's a guy that is going to be great to interview over the next four years. Um, So and he seemed to have a pretty good head on his shoulders about uh, where things all were going. Talked to Niles Morgan a little bit. He said he is definitely coming back. Um, Quentin Nelson... Pretty much certain to come back, but I think not the slam dunk that maybe some people are making it out to be. And then Deshaun Kaiser, um, I would be surprised if he came back, not only based just on his comments, but talking to people around the program in the last 72 hours, the expectation is that he will declare for the NFL draft.
0: I think there's an irony of the season is the newcomers of the year will be seniors next year. I always enjoy that. For, oh, no, yeah. for such a young team, that the newcomers were yeah, seniors. Yeah, it, it was Alex Bars and, <laughs> and Niles Morgan. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was a. Sometimes you have to make a way to get to honor the guys that obviously there's a lot of guys that deserve some type of recognition like Niles Morgan couldn't be defensive player, but they aren't always the most accurate selections. You just just need something in a way to honor them, Uh, especially because Pete's giving me the skeptical look of how many guys you need to honor on a four win team. But you know they do have these awards every year, and you got to fill them out. So yeah,
2: and it's like I I think especially in the instances of like scout team players or new guys, like yeah, I mean uh, Jonathan Jones was straight up. He was like. This feels good yeah. too. I mean, it may just be like a piece of paper that you get or like a little statue, but like this guy's been banging his head against the wall for the last four months. Nobody's noticed him. He's like, I don't know if the coaches like basically know who I am. Um, yeah. And now he's like, oh, they actually noticed. This actually feels good and I can go into winter workouts with with something to build on. So that's, that's something. Um, the captains was a surprise not only in the fact that they named them, but there were seven of them. This actually... We were sitting around after the award show thinking, like, have they ever done this before? And we couldn't think of it. And then afterwards, I'm like, wait, they did this after BK's first year when they named Michael Floyd and Harrison Smith captains. Obviously, Floyd ended up getting arrested, and it was just Harrison Smith. (laughs) Now, this this year, they're doing seven captains. They are Deshaun Kaiser, Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Drew Tranquil, Greer Martini, Niles Morgan, and Austin Webster. Notable that it is not an indication that Sean Kaiser is returning. Um, did they make that clear they Friday did. night? They, they did. did. That was as as soon as we were we were told about the captains before the show started. It was just sort of embargoed information. You can post it immediately when this is done. But please be aware that this is not an no, indication no. that Sean Deshan- right. Kaiser is returning.
1: Well, I don't. I mean, I. I Look, when you go 4-8, you need to do something. You need to be proactive. I don't have a problem with it. And I think the choices of Kaiser, Martini, McGlinchey, Morgan, Nelson, Nelson Tranquil, I mean, I think those are really good choices. I have, a, and it's just, you know, I mean, a bit of a problem with a walk-on that nobody knows and doesn't play, named a captain of the University of Notre And that's a pretty prestigious uh, award to get. And, you know, if he was captain of... of Walk-ons. I understand. I don't want to make big too big of a deal out of it, but I don't think an Austin Webster sh- Webster should go down in history as one of Notre Dame's football captains when he's never had an impact on the football program. Well, he's a junior, so he might be a two-time captain. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Number <laughs> twenty-three. But you know, I mean, I, I, I am. I, I say I don't want to make a big deal right, of it, right. and, I, and I am. But um, you know, I kind of having been around this my whole life, I I, I think it's. A little bit more prestigious than just handing out to a guy to organize the walk-ons. But you made a point, Tim, about Mike Anello.
0: Yeah, I think he did that a really Yeah, good now there. that was
1: a significant contributor to the program. I guess He's I probably could,
0: a top 10 player on that team, though, in 08. So, I mean, that yeah. might be part of it. But, yeah. yeah, we don't know anything about Oscar. Yeah, remember, We should point that out. He might, be, he might have naturally, but he was, be the leader of the walk-ons, is what you're saying. He yeah. Might, he might naturally be really I mean, Charlie really Weiss had
1: Scott Smith.
0: Yeah. yeah. But but and, he was a
1: he he was a special teams guy right. and a yeah.
2: and a scholarship guy. And I I asked Austin Webster about this uh on Friday night. I was like, so are you see yourself as a captain or a captain of the walk-ons? And he was like, you know, I guess we'll kind of see. Um but there's no reason why he can't help a younger wide receiver yeah. out with route running or, yeah. or just like, let's go work out or let's watch some more film. And I don't, That's I don't know. And I, don't, I think that was really one of the points Drew Tranquil made when I talked to him, was like Younger guys, people just assume that younger guys know who to ask for help, and they don't. And now, basically, you have somebody in every position group, almost, that younger guys can go and say, all right, how? what am I supposed to do? How do I get to, like, what's this workout about? How do I watch film? Like, what should I be eating? Like, I, I, What's this do technique? I, go- I mean, yeah. there could be a million I'm things. Just, I'm really I, confused. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that helps, but I... Look, I, I get it that if Notre Dame went eleven and one, we'd be like seven captains. This is the greatest, this is the best idea. I've, this is amazing. Best idea. They go four and eight. Terrible idea. What are they doing? That's, I don't I don't look at it that way. Okay. I mean, I don't I don't look at it that way at
1: all. I mean, you're trying to be proactive. You just had a bullshit no, year. I, mean, I
2: I'm I'm with you. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think this it's a smart move. But it's just, it's in the context of the record. People you're saying are like, nothing. Uh, well, again,
1: like yeah. we said, whatever Brian Kelly decides is going to be wrong when you're 4-8. That's just <laughs> yes, part of it. that's my point. I had a story uh, at the end of last week with Greg Gabriel on the NFL draft, the same candidates we talked about uh, during the bye week in, in October, and I also uh, took part in a, the first of several family Christmas gatherings this past weekend, and the, uh, the idea was expressed to me that Kaiser needs to come back. Well, the thing is, he's one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft with Trubisky and, and Deshaun Watson, and, I mean, he's right up there. He, he, he's right up. He may be the first quarterback chosen in the draft. Does he need more seasoning in college to be a better NFL quarterback? Absolutely. Fact of the matter is, it's 2016, man, and that's not the way the game's played. He is one of the three best quarterbacks, which probably means whether he's ready or not, he's going to be a first round draft
0: choice. I'm to channel someone else and use this crutch when I ask this question, but I get this asked a lot. Do you guys think that the dynamic will be better if Kaiser comes back, or if they start anew? I it's think like, it, I, I know that I, I
1: suspect. Won, but... I suspect it, the dynamic will be better if they start anew. That doesn't mean that their offense will be better right. because of it. That. I don't mean but that. But the dynamic of the situation, you can always feel when it's time for someone to move on, and it definitely has that feel.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm not sure if I could draw a parallel to anybody. I like, was thinking Whether it be a Luke one, but... or something.
0: Yeah, that's a he good one. I wanted
2: to leave, but then like I couldn't. But Kaiser clearly can leave. Yeah. Because um, it's like... If he's one of the top 3 quarterbacks, let's say worst case scenario, he goes 3rd. That means you're bottom of the first round, you're still making absolutely 8 million million? So when nine someone says dollars?
1: he needs to come back, for who? You? Yeah. For yeah. you. <laughs> and it's like what
2: what player would you describe as like they they really could not use any more experience or seasoning at the college level. That's pretty rare that you would look at a player and be like this player has absolutely nothing to gain by returning. Especially a quarterback. Like I, I don't think there is a quarterback that couldn't benefit from more experience before they go pro. Well, there.
0: You know what? No matter what, he does have to get to the NFL, and they're going to start rehauling how they want him to play football. I mean, yeah. he's in a read option system. It's just not going to be the same thing. It, it's not a rip on Brian Kelly at all. It's it's college football. They are not training quarterbacks the same to go but to pro.
1: Interesting. Systems. If you if you read that story of yeah. Greg like Gabriel, the talking about the reads and the 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 route tree and the progressions and how Notre Dame runs their spread offense, it is a full field diag- diagnostic uh, situation for Deshaun Kaiser. Whereas with Trubisky and, and, and Deshaun Watson, it's half field, and so they aren't as nearly as far along in in that process. Right, against. and that
0: will help. But I just think back to when Brian Kelly came in with from the pro style offense Notre Dame had, and said we have to completely overhaul Dane Chris footwork because it's a hundred percent different than pro style. Yeah, it has to be the same thing going the other way. Yeah, they're going to have to read. Well, I think full work
1: is and always has been an issue with with Kaiser.
0: It was hard to draw a parallel. I don't think this is totally accurate because you made the point that he can't leave. Paulus coming back for a fifth year when everyone wanted Jarius Jackson to be the starter. It's a good point. Hollis, though, is a fifth-year new coach. Everyone's like, you know, it might be time to move on to someone, mm-hmm. and it's really hard for Bob Davies' new coach to say, "I don't want my four-year starting quarterback, three-year starting quarterback back." Yeah, that's the only one I could think of. Kaiser's better. Yeah, that's a good, and, and that's a good that, parallel. That's one I
1: of. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think it's a direct parallel, but that's a good. It's <laughs> so that's up an with. example. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's
0: an
2: that's an example. And I, I think just statistically, to be to I guess promote well, it's time to move on. You look at Brian Kelly's record with young quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks, whether that be Reese as a freshman, um, Kaiser as a redshirt freshman, um, Malik Zaire, Everett Golson. Those have been his best teams, uh, or best, most winning teams at least, because I I think it forces him (laughs) to run the ball. And if you have five offensive linemen back and Josh Adams and – I, I'm not sure what to make of what's going on with Tari and Folston, because um, you would think that if, if he had asked for his relief to do a grad transfer, that would have already occurred. Right. I don't know if he's just going to try to catch on in a camp or something next year, go pro, but it's there's just a lot to work with offensively on the ground next year, and the receiving group returns... You know, two of their best three in St. Brown, who is clearly the best receiver, and then Kevin Stefferson, who has some athletic ability that I think Torrey Hunter we thought would have but didn't show, uh, to get deep. So I think you can do a lot with Brandon Wimbush next year, and I think you can, probably, you can force yourself to do a little bit less in passing, which is maybe a positive. How many people have expressed to you just off the cuff saying,
1: "Ah, oh, it's time to turn a page Wimbush? Most. I, me I think too. it's the majority. Yeah, me yeah. too. The one it's
0: thing the they don't think position. of, and I mean, it's because it's not their job to think of it, and why Brian Kelly wants Kaiser back is when one of them gets hurt, he has the other one. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, well, that, yeah I mean, sure. it really is. It, it yeah. is a part of it is if Brandon yeah. gets hurt and everybody was to Deshaun Kaiser out the door, and then you have a real new starter.
1: Before we, before we leave the NFL draft, I just want to throw in, I think, two interesting guys, and it's not going to be a great draft for Notre Dame. With or without, I mean, with Kaiser, maybe number one. And after that, who knows when anybody gets picked. But interesting. Uh, Jeron Jones has a potential offensive tackle, and he has the perfect body for offensive tackle and probably the best temperament for that, right? Mm-hmm. And then James Onwailo, who's that part, that hybrid safety outside linebacker that, that they play up near the line of scrimmage if he's in a, um, Gabriel said, if he's in a 4-3. Um, how did he say it? He's, he... I read that. No, yeah. If he's in a four-three, they'll like him as a will linebacker. If he's in a three-four, it's that hybrid position.
0: Interesting note on Jones. Um, the last access to players, Jerron Jones. Thanksgiving week, said out loud. Someone mentioned to me during recruiting that I should be an offensive tackle. I will never in my life play offensive tackle. Well, so he, he wants, better be careful in he his wants, interviews yeah. because he said that's the only thing I don't want to do. Coming to college, if they wanted to make me a tight end, I would have done it. He was serious, too. Think about he, the, he said he will not play. Think the
1: about football. the temperament where he can be reactive as opposed it's to. It's funny
0: because he said, I have the temperament of a defensive player. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> no, I agree with you. But what, what I'm saying is, I, no, he I literally agree. stood up there and, and announced it, not with the NFL. And it, I think. Someone just asked him, you've come a long way. People were talking about moving you to tackle when you came yeah. in. Did you ever think you'd beat well, The NFL, I was never doing that.
1: The NFL's it's... going to disagree with him, I, I do believe. Uh, where do you want to go from here, guys? You want, to talk, you want to talk hoops? Um, really, really, really impressive performance for certainly 30 minutes of that game. Notre Dame was in control of it. Matt Farrell. I mean, my God, this he just keeps yeah. getting better and better. It, it created a conversation between you and I, I just, during I, the game about Demetrius Jackson. And,
2: I mean, let's... let's... All let's. right, well, I want to hear where this one goes. I, well, I, I, I'll, I mean, I'll
0: bring up how I started it, because I think Tim said it before I right. did, but I brought it to Tim. I said, look... Demetrius Jackson was an impact defensive player and a winning player because of that. Mm-hmm. Matt Farrell is a more skilled offensive player for college basketball than Demetrius I, Jackson is.
1: Here's how I would right. say it. Matt Farrell is better for that team yeah, than Demetrius Jackson. I'm not right. saying he's he's better, you know, he's no, a better no, athlete no. than Demetrius. I mean, right. that's never going to be the case. But who's better for that team? Who ties that team together? Who makes the players around him better?
0: He's so good at driving and dishing and so good at hitting pull-up shots. Now, he cannot get to the hole and get 14 free throws in a game like Demetrius Jackson can. And right, he won't right, go right. out and beat Wisconsin 84 feet away from the basket when you yeah. need to get to the, sweep, the, the elite eight. There's a, I'm, I was not saying he's a better player than Demetrius Jackson, but Neither one the way saying. he runs the offense and his offensive skills, they are totally legit because we've were just we been looking at each other for I think every game we go to when they're all, and we're all like, man. He just keeps doing this, doesn't he? He's really good. And now it's just it's automatic. Well, he did he it against, is a good. He did player. against Villanova.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one yeah. thing Colorado and Northwestern and Iowa, but he did it against Villanova. And of course, you know, when when the ACC starts and they're playing eighteen games this year, they're going to go to twenty games. I mean, you got you better be good to get through that conference. Everything that he showed here, beginning with that Colorado Northwestern back to back games, this guy is dynamic, man. He's really. He is a really, really good college point guard.
0: Another good thing that came out of that and relates to Farrell is that T.J. Gibbs isn't afraid of anything, and he's a really good backup college point guard yeah. for Matt Farrell. He's, he yeah. had no fear in that game. He, You know what? I mean, he's going to be a much better player in two years than he is right now, but he's fine to put in. And I think he'd do really well put in for a stretch if Farrell turned his ankle again. I think you're fine. You put in Gibbs. That's a nice thing. Um, it's a shame that Colson had a rough first 25. 30. He played really well when the rest of the team didn't at the end. He was having trouble with every defensive rotation. He was pressing. I think he got some pub for being a very good national player, mm-hmm. and he was trying to become a great player that day against Villanova. And it's hard. It's hard. That's a hard transition yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really he responded after a while. I, I even tweeted. Yeah, he, he, he should did.
1: Come out I for mean, a he only he only had two rebounds in the second half and. Here's the but look, they lost the game, okay? And so let's talk about yeah, when everybody's telling me that oh, this is the best defense, we hear that every year, and I do agree, it's a better cohesive team defense. But when they needed to stop Josh Hart, and I realized that that, I mean, he's good, he first of all, he'll be Big East player of the year, you know, he might moment. be next yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. and
0: that might be the, the least of his awards. He's a strong dude, too. I thought that was Mike Bray's best point. He's just strong. It's the reason they couldn't stop. Fluger's a really good defensive player against quick guards, and Fluger had no chance of stopping walk-up last year in the, yeah. in the Stephen F. Austin game. I oh, think there's yeah. a little bit of a weakness you can't put him on strong guys like that. that yeah, I
2: mean there. that was the point yeah. they made in the broadcast that Hart had put on I think fifteen pounds in the offseason. and I mean that really showed because they just guys were <laughs> you know, just bouncing and off him. Yeah, yeah and and the, even Castillo was bouncing off him. Yeah. He's, I
0: mean, he's a senior that's pretty strong defender.
1: They're, they're they're a long team, and so my point and Beecham shoots two for eleven. You know, I mean you can't have that on the road, but they're not they're not quite there. They're not. No, I agree they, were, yeah. they weren't quite ready to beat the number one team in the nation. The big concern. For me, it's still what happens in the paint because Martin Gebbin, is, he had he had a little stretch there where he you know scored five and had a couple rebounds and he is a good passer, but and
0: he, and he does get in the way uh, in the post. And I say that because Zach August didn't last year when he had three fouls. He right. couldn't He wouldn't touch no. anyone. And Gebbin will foul a lot of games. And he Pete and I were talking about it. You know, what does he bring that Mooney doesn't? He's bigger. He's That's bigger. It, yeah. He's stronger right, right now, and he gets it. He, he establishes. Back. He his is, position. but
1: I would, yeah. I would like to see Mooney get a couple stretches oh, yeah. in each half to just, you know, I mean, he's more athletic. He's got. He obviously has more range. I think he just has a natural, a, a more natural basketball court awareness. Yeah. yeah. But he is just a freshman.
0: I think he will. I, I over time, Bray usually likes to get those guys in at home first because nerves strike. Yeah. On the road for the, I think it would have mm-hmm. been a rough environment for him, unless something goes great first. Where you get a layup, get fouled, make the free throw, and all of a sudden you have confidence. But it's a tough. Like even putting in Matt Ryan, he looks so overmatched athletically in that game when they put in Matt Ryan. It's just not the. Yeah. He has He still struggles on the road. He and,
1: and he needs to. I mean, he needs to. Obviously, he needs to to develop a more well rounded yeah. game. When it's you go shot. into the game just thinking I'm a shooter, uh, you're you're not going to look good in the other aspects of your game.
2: Yeah, I mean he. To me, reminds me of like some previous Bray era players from like five years ago that were just really good spot up shooters, but maybe didn't bring a whole lot else. I mean, so you got Villanova; they're nine and one now. Purdue this weekend, uh, then a couple more non conference games, Colgate and St. Peter's before ACC play opens. I mean, it's this probably what a four four five seed type of season. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of how it feels. And like going into the era, I would be like, I would I would be more in the Mike Bray. Let's just get to Dayton to the play in game. Um so I've I've been really impressed with them overall. I know they're gonna you know,
1: they're gonna get beat up a little bit on the road.
2: I yeah, I, I hesitate to say four or fifth seed
1: yet. I mean, I think they've looked like that kind of team. I don't know that they'll ultimately end up
0: being that team. We kinda this is what I was kind of alluding to before the Villanova game. If you beat Villanova, you can lose some of those ro- you can go. Eleven and seven in the ACC with a win against Villanova, and you, you are a four seed because everyone remembers yeah. you beat Villanova, and the committee does. They got to beat Purdue and they to don't get that. I mean, uh, they
1: don't put any weight on a loss, a, a no, close loss, right? So, well, I mean, if they it lose,
0: to, if they lose to Purdue, they will, right? Two in a row. This will look. They stepped up in class. They're not. They lost two in a row. I think it's important to try. Well, and, that was the
1: thing. If you yeah. beat Villanova, And, Purdue and Purdue you're right; they yeah. could afford to lose to Purdue, but you would expect to beat Purdue. So if you lost, it'd be like, damn, you know, you you did this, but now you you took a step back. Once you lose to Villanova,
2: you really need to win that pur- yeah. Purdue game. Yeah, and you'll be down there on Saturday be, yeah. and cover that um, 2 o'clock. But that will be really interesting because it's a different matchup. I mean, that's a team with size where wow. Martin yeah. Gemman yeah. has to somehow stay on the court for who 25, defend, Who, who defends Swanigan?
0: I, what about Isaac Haas? I mean, I, well, those are two bad matchups. I, they needed to get Swanigan. we got to go back in time. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then to wrap up segment one, Aaron Banks... A the latest commitment for Narin, they're back to eighteen overall. Um Tim and I have both looked at film of this guy. He's a guard. Um I wonder if he could be a space eating two gap nose tackle if you needed him to be, but um he's big. There's no question. This is a big, big dude. <laughs>
1: he, he's huge. Yeah. It lists at six seven, so he's probably six six. Listed three thirty five. He looks more than that <laughs> yeah. to me. The first film I saw of him had I don't know it had to be really early in his high school career and I thought, oh my God, this guy he can't move his feet. He has come a million miles. Uh it has to be in the last twelve to eighteen months. Um I you know, I there might be a right tackle in there. I realize the problem's off the edge. But the way he's trending with his feet, the way he's you know he's he's playing lower, his his knee bend is better, his waist bend is better. He he's made a lot of progress in a short period of time. But if you want to maximize his ability, put his butt at right guard and let him plow people. Um, you know, as long as he continues to progress, he has to. Athletically, he has to continue to really, really work to be in the best condition he can be.
0: I'm gonna speak for the angry fan and say put his butt at right guard and let him pass protect for fifty plays a game, right? <laughs> yeah. Because he's, yeah.
1: He, well, he's not gonna be yeah, you know, as a guard, you don't you're not going to be revealed as a poor pass blocker. And I think he's I think he has enough footwork to be a
2: decent pass blocker at guard. Defensive tackle, Pete? I mean in a 3-4 yeah. purely yeah. Wow. I we Boy, just I mean, need somebody to like beat up centers and reach yeah. out and grab people. But he's
1: got to be he's got to show some more lateral productivity, get off a block yeah. and make a tackle going laterally, which again, I think some of the film that Jack provided for me will shows some of that, but Still that's a purely a scheme, yeah. Because I'm
2: not saying he should be like. Well, I wonder if he could be the next Jerry Tillery. And that's I'm yeah. more yeah. like, could he be yeah. a, like a Kona Schwinke senior year type mm-hmm. of just? Just I'm going to beat up the guy in front of me and then reach out. And grab I kind of look bags. at
1: like, okay, you're a right guard. And the next step, show me you can play right tackle. and Then next step, show me you can
2: play defensive line. That's probably a good way to look at it. That's the progression. Good way to look at it. All right, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated. And Saturday we will come back talk a little more about recruiting visitors over the weekend what's next for the football program and fan sentiment uh, around the interwebs and various newspapers. All that next, Irish Illustrated Insider.
1: Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insiders are burning up the boards and we start with a question from zur. At other schools, it seems like beat writers usually have scores of, quote, sources. I hear about this less at Norname. Please explain what is it like covering
2: Norname from a sources perspective? I think it's, um, I mean, it's not too challenging from, like, player news. Uh, but I, I do think from an administrative side, it's a more challenging here. And I, I think Zur's sort of take on this is correct. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with Jack Swarbrick often operates as a party of one. Yeah. Um, so there's there's less people in the loop, which means there are less people to leak it out. Right. Yeah, I think administratively, um
1: it's carefully guarded and I think Jack Swarbrick's very good at that. Now I'm not sure that every every AD before or after will be as good at that as as he is. Um you know, I don't know. sometimes we yeah, I'm trying to sometimes that. we get a little bit of information coming from from his area. I yeah. I, I think maybe um and and you know Pete has more sources than than either one of us, but
0: or I think
1: that yeah, and I pray anyone else, but um, you know I think we kind of have it kind of like our writing styles and our approaches on mm-hmm. this podcast. I think we kind of cover the gamut, yeah, uh, of sources as well as the way we look at the program and our personalities and the way we approach it.
0: I'm trying to think of from the, from the uh, <clears throat> administrative point of view. You're right in that I guess you're. It's so closely guarded, you're not going to get much bad news ahead of time, other than we knew about the vacating for uh, the better part of four years. Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a good example. Yeah, that, but you know, like, I had an interview um, set up uh, with Jack Swarbrick the day before the uh, frozen, I mean, I'm not going to call it that anymore, the day before yeah. the uh, cheating scandal broke, and it was canceled. <laughs> so I had a pretty good idea that something was about to happen. I didn't know what, Yeah, you know, but I was immediately was thinking, well, oh, yeah. Tomorrow's going to be a long day because mm-hmm. he would never bother canceling this. And that was. I think a
2: good sort of anecdotal story is like when Brian Kelly was hired, that wasn't something that broke across Twitter more than like two minutes before Notre Dame put out an announcement. Um, and there was not a lot of like, here's how the negotiations are going with Brian Kelly, here are all the candidates. Um, it was very locked up. I mean, it really even. Uh, I think when it comes to staff changes, there's not a lot of stuff leaking out about that either. No, there's um, not. You know, and you know when it comes to the defensive coordinator, I, you know, look back to when the office when Mike Sanford was hired, it was like that came out basically moments before it was announced. Right. Um, so that's, I think that's just sort of. So this it, is a tricky. <laughs> I mean,
1: it may be frustrating for fans, but it is a good thing. It, it whether they realize it or not, it's a it's a good thing that, and I. It's, it's to Notre Dame's advantage that less people know, uh, regardless
0: of how frustrating that can be for us. There's a fair amount of misinformation, too, clearly. I mean, regarding Kelly already, <laughs> you think, think about <laughs> it. We <were> founded, <laughs> sitting on Manhattan Beach all of a sudden. It's like, no, I haven't heard that he's about to be fired, but I guess I'm going to have to yeah. start calling into this. Yes. And he wasn't about to be fired. So I know there's plenty of it. I mean, we, we both, all three of us, immediately contacted sources that would know. They all said that they hadn't heard that, and so we clearly weren't going to be jumping on that uh, bandwagon, but we had to keep we had to keep looking into it because it, it made sense to me because I wrote about it a month prior. But, yeah. <laughs> I, <didn't laughs> but, I, but I do believe that there was,
1: yeah, you know, the general yeah. theme of a very unsettled nature right after the the game
2: concluded. I mm. do think that, that there's accuracy in that as well. There's always, I think, a little bit of truth in what's yeah. going on. I, mean, I think very rarely do we hear stuff from our sources that, you know, it may be, it may prove to be false in the end, but I think rarely does it prove to be like completely fabricated right, in right. a hoax, uh, right. set So I don't know. That's it's, it's tricky here. Next up P Butler two, can you please address the advertisements and the quote fight for excellence end quote group? I think that explaining away the facts by referring to their anonymous nature is bogus and seems like sidestepping of the valid arguments they present.
0: There are the valid arguments. I think just needed to be presented during November, when you know there's during the season, and it's over. I mean, I presented an argument twice. He's not going to get fired. I don't know if you're helping or hurting anymore because I don't think I don't think you have an impact. I think the self-aggrandizing behavior is what is off-putting for me. Um, I think the first ad, if you would have cleaned it up for accuracy and left some of the stuff in there, I mean, that's all legitimate arguments that they have that over the course of time, Brian Kelly has had a great year, a good year, four average years and a terrible year. So, I mean, I think there are, there are arguments to be had. I just don't like the way it's, they're going about it. I don't think it helps. Um, but you know what? I shouldn't say I don't think it it, it hurts more than it helps because I don't think it has an impact. I don't think people that want to go to Notre Dame (laughs) are looking at some people that took an ad on the paper and been like, man. Those guys must have a point. I don't want to go to Notre Dame anymore, and I don't think it's <laughs> helping. <laughs> clearly, no, it's, but, not, it's not helping. Yeah, but, but I mean, but the point maybe isn't to help it though either. Like, we can, you know, we could, we're looking at it a little bit. I guess me, myopic point of view. Like, you're not either helping or hurting. There are they want their voices heard, I guess, and the voices are going to be heard, and it's going to have zero impact on anything for 2017. None whatsoever.
2: Here's my: if you're going to demand accountability, you cannot do it anonymously. That does not work. And I think that's where the whole thing breaks down because it's hypocritical. As soon as I can see like, wow, that's a really hypocritical point you're making. I don't really care how valid your argument is. You've lost me. And look, what's the point of an advertisement? It's to convince. It's to make an argument. It's to bring someone around to your side. And if you're going to be hypocritical about it, that's not going to happen. To me, if they had one contacted like a graphic designer to work on this and the ad was essentially everyone's name that had contributed to this that would sway me much more than some retread statistics that have been on irish illustrated for months because to be the power of this and i think the this group has, has missed this point entirely the if they have a power it is in the volume of of people who are contributing, not the volume of how loud the message right. is, how big your font sizes are. If you had, let's say you had 5,000 names on, on that ad, and you could work that into, and it was just like, we fight for excellence. That would say a lot more to me than bringing up a picture of Tyrone Willingham yeah, that or the cool. Four Horsemen. That, that's, look, they can, they can make a good case here. They're just not doing it because they're not being smart about my, it.
0: My really, my, I hate to interrupt Tim. My, my real point is that... That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's better if I interrupt you right yeah. here. My, I, honestly, I, don't, I, I, my, I guess I'm looking at it at the point of view is that this is, it's, it's useless. This isn't, this isn't going to do anything. You know how you can make an impact is that instead of getting this done in the last three weeks and being proud of getting it done in the last three weeks and there's more to come, if over a nine-month period you contacted all the people... That you could find that are frustrated with the situation and really believe they want a change. And all of those people, when the first game kicks off, walked out of the stadium. That would be something. But you're not going to do that because you're going to watch Notre Dame next year, no matter who the coach is, and you know that. And as soon as they're six and zero, you're going to be cheering for them again. So that would be something. You put your name on something in a protest. I understand that's everybody's right to use their money however they want. I'm not even, the money is irrelevant to me. It's your it's your right to protest. But if you really wanted to make a change, it's and I know you can't say all the limiting donations because if someone donates $1,000 a year, that doesn't, nobody doesn't care. You're going to have to find the guy that donates. <laughs> You're going to have to, no, I'm not ripping out a thousand dollar donation at all. I'm saying that you would have to have million people do that. You, you need to find the guy that donates 20 million yeah. and, and get him to walk out with you. But I,
1: yeah, I just don't, I, I, I don't, and I understand the need to say this and yeah. I say more power to you, go for it. Um, but I don't know how you think you're going to impact Notre Dame by demeaning and embarrassing them, publicly demeaning and embarrassing them. If you have a group of people um, that approach uh, Notre Dame, approach Jack Swarbrick respectively, um, you know, and try to organize a meeting and an exchange of ideas and conversation, I think that that's more impactful than, than going about it this way. I just don't, I just don't understand how you think that you're impacting the situation. I I don't, how are they, how, how are they impacting the situation positively or, um, you know, creating Notre Dame or putting Notre Dame in a position where they feel like, okay, now we're going to have to make a change. I just, I just don't see that. I think dialogue with the powers that be has more power than something like this. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a,
2: that's a, Good approach to it if they want to do some kind of I don't know town hall meeting or whatever. whatever. But yeah, I,
1: like, I don't not, know that uh, I don't know that that's the way to do it. I think a, I think privately sure, yeah. meeting with Jack Schwaberg right. and I don't know how Jack Swarbrick would would yeah. and I and I keep using his name, but I don't know how the university would respond to that. Maybe they tried to do that and it was shot down. Right. I'm not we aware of, that. I don't, that, don't, of right, that. I don't right. I don't know that. But but what I do think is that when I see a full page ad in the South Bend Tribune, which is an attempt to demean and embarrass Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame's going to re- respond positive to you, you know Notre Dame is the,
2: not going right? to
1: respond positively. They won't. Right. So that. therefore the effort is unsuccessful because you're not creating the change that you're trying to get.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a stick in the eye. Which like
0: people don't respond to that. <laughs> See, John, to move on. It has been my sense during Brian Kelly's tenure that he delegates most recruiting analysis and visits to his staff. Conversely, often hear how active elite coaches like Urban Meyer, he is an elite coach, are on the recruiting trail. Is this an accurate perception of Coach Kelly? And have you sensed any more urgency from him in regard to recruiting following the end of the dismal 2016 season?
2: I think it's a fair assessment from C. John in terms of Kelly's recruiting style being more uh, delegation and CEO approach. I also can't sit here and say that I know things have changed cause I went four and eight and what the reaction is to that. Um, I think recruiting is still going. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit, no, well, it's going better than okay, but will that change moving forward? I just don't think that we know yet. Um, maybe we'll learn something in the next two months until national signing day comes around with, you know, somebody like an Antoine Simmons or Josh Pascal, a, a linebacker and defensive <clears throat> end that they really want. Um, I think that it would be a positive change. We've talked about it a bunch in this podcast. But uh, C. John is right in terms of the way he phrases the question. uh, But I I can't sit here and say that I know things have have changed uh, appreciably in terms of how Brian Kelly is involved in recruiting. I mean, he's been on the road like he always is, right? Yeah. At
1: at this time of year. Now they're in a a period where they can't uh, have face-to-face contact with recruits. I don't think... You know... We 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 want to compare to Meyer and Harbaugh, and those guys are on an island by themselves, I, you know. And well, I mean, I don't Meyer know that Saban. I don't know that Sabin necessarily is as great a recruiter as those two are, but the product is so spectacular. He
0: must, be, must be pretty good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the product is so spectacular that it. You know I don't want to say it sells itself, but it goes a long way towards that. I don't know that. I don't know that Brian Kelly can convince recruits the way Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh
2: can. I don't
1: know that he he's not as good at it.
2: Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's that, uh, at the end of the day. That's sort of what the, the very simple answer to the question is. Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh are just better recruiters as head coaches.
1: Yeah. Now the effort, c- c- the effort. You would agree the effort could be greater. Could close, on yeah.
2: Could you go about it a different way? Could you close that gap a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they've tried to be creative in the past with kind of small, smallish returns, but. Um, you know, could Brian Kelly just say, like, look, I'm going to latch on to this guy? I mean, in the case of Niles Morgan, it's a fair one to bring up. He was basically his primary recruiter, but only because his area recruiter, Chuck Martin, left for Miami, Ohio, and his position coach, Bob Diaco, left for Connecticut. And then Notre Dame closed the deal on that pretty quickly. So, I mean, I, Brian Kelly, I think, is could be really good in a living room. Um, yeah, I would think so. I think it's maybe some more of the tenacious grunt work aspects of it. Um, that Urban Meyer eats, drinks, sleeps recruiting. I don't know, like.
0: Uh, that's just not. I think Brian Kelly's approach on it. He's got more to sell too, right now. It's just the way it is. I mean, yeah. Urban Meyer convinces Notre Dame coaches to come to his staff. He yes. it's, he convinces Notre Dame recruits to come to his team, and he's whatever he is, sixty-five and five. Yeah, many. Yeah, but many Brian, wins. I mean, Brian
1: Kelly had a lot to sell after two thousand twelve. He did, and there's only been really out of the last four seasons, only one.
0: Yeah. He's that just, you're really proud of. People don't want to hear it, but he's a legend. And when Urban Meyer came to Notre Dame's coaches clinic, Tommy Reese, who was the starting quarterback for Brian Kelly, said, I can't believe I got to talk to Urban Meyer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. that's just yeah, it's that just the way it is. That says it all. It's, it's, it's Urban Meyer for you. it
1: all. D.L. Barron, you mentioned this in passing in another thread, but share your thoughts on why and how Notre Dame perpetually burns red shirts by playing freshmen on kickoff and punt teams. Um, from the, Take it from there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... This, this is one of those questions that I would like to ask not only Brian Kelly outside of a press conference, but Jack Swarbrick as well. It's just, what's the goal here? Are you trying to play as many freshmen early so you can say you play as many freshmen early in recruiting? Or are you trying to be older and think long term? And it seems like it's much more the former because... Uh, Romeo Okwara sacked Dak Prescott last night in an NFL game and finished with eight tackles <laughs> in his first career start. I think he would have been worth at least three <laughs> wins last year. Um, that's, it's, God, it's, you know, you look weird. at Kona Schwenke, um, Romeo Quara, those are the big ones to me. Well, just, there's a
0: new two. There's two new ones. And year. now you
2: unfortunately have Julian Oquara and Khalid Kareem that came through this year, and you're just like, what was the point of that? Uh, I don't. I don't get it. Um, I think that Kelly has expressed some frustration, which I, I think is illogical about Matt Haggerty. Uh, he will about Malik Zaire. Like, well, what was the point of redshirting? Because they just left. Well, what? I, I don't get that. Like, it's, it's in the best interest of the player, then, that they go play somewhere else if they're not going to play here. And the fact that you lose a backup to another school doesn't mean... You should eliminate the chance of having a fifth-year starter down the road. So you look at their fifth-year starters next year. McGlinchey, Nelson, okay, offensive lineman, redshirt all the time. And then McGovern, Bivin, okay, you redshirt offensive lineman all the time. And then probably Durham Smythe. That's it. That I just think you could do a better job with your with your roster at that point than to have four or five fifth-year seniors. It's
0: interesting. I wonder, uh, I wonder if Isaac Rochelle would come back for a fifth year if he hadn't played those spot start those spot plays in uh, two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen. I would think he probably would. Yeah, they might have needed him a little bit more than they did Aquara and You Now I put the Aquara right up finally on the board because there's a new thread about Aquara for the hundredth time. I actually just answered what happened, so if you want to go read it on the site, they they felt they panicked a little bit. They felt they needed to play him because they lost Spawn for two weeks. And anyway, but Brian Kelly's even said afterwards. They basically needed a backup linebacker at the position, and they chose him, but they threw him out there on kickoff coverage, and Brian Kelly even mentioned, like, use Romeo Cuara by name, saying, you know, some guys just, they don't have a feel for it. You should have seen him trot down the field and aimlessly. <sighs> well, why did he win your starting job there? Which might explain some things from this year, but, you know, they feel the need once the guy gets in the two deep, I think, to give him a taste, and I guess that's not the best idea for, obviously not for, they don't do this offensive linemen very often, but defensive linemen... Even Julian Aquara, I think they thought he would help with pass rush this year, but they never gave him the opportunity to really help with pass rush. They kept putting him down, running down on kickoff coverage against the Dory Jackson, and that's not the use of his career that you need. It's amazing they're doing it to another Aquara, actually. And the Khalid Kareem makes no sense to me, that's... because you've got to develop him to be strong enough to compete there. If you need spot snaps, that's Jonathan Bonner behind Isaac Rochelle. That's Jay Hayes. Right. You had no reason to play him. Julian Aquara is... They probably thought, we don't have a pass rush. Maybe he can give us one. So, I guess I understand why he was prepared to be a player. And once you put him in, he's a good athlete and you're kind of stuck. But the Kareem one is the worst of this year. Kona Schwenke was a total panic move. It was ridiculous as a sophomore. He looked... He gained 60 pounds in the offseason. It wasn't physically. At, to beat Purdue. To beat Purdue. To not even beat Purdue, they won by 30 points. Yeah. <laughs> and you're putting him out there because you had a guy suspended it's, for a game. Yeah, because it, it's about two of his
1: life. You can understand it more if, like, then in their sophomore year they play, they're a starter and they're a significant yeah. contributor. Yeah. And that, Then
0: it's a little bit understandable. It took a quarter four. All four. To be a guy right, where you're like, exactly, wow, he's really exactly, developed.
1: Exactly. So if Khalid Kareem suddenly bursts into the starting lineup next year and is a is a legitimate starter and player, okay, well then you can accept it a little bit more. But that doesn't happen enough.
0: Every once in a while you have guys, and I believe this of Eshack Williams. Um if you don't play him as a freshman, you might lose him. Uh I think that <laughs> happens on occasion. I think that's why they ran Nick Watkins on kickoff return as a blocker. Now, he got his ear back from injury. Yeah, but they literally put Nick Watkins out there. Never played a snap in a scrimmage. I mean, he never made it, didn't make a tackle on kickoff no, coverage. It, it's just a weird. It's a weird. They dynamic. need a better plan. They they, they definitely do. need a better plan. And I don't think it should be attached to special teams because you keep complaining about how many freshmen you have on special teams who are well, The biggest <laughs> problem with special
1: teams is you can't sell it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: They, they can't they can't sell it that's as one of being. The problem.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm all, I'm all, yeah, okay, not biggest, yeah. uh, but it's, not- I
2: mean, just like this freshman class, like Javon McKinley. I think we all agree that rec- receivers and I, to a certain extent, corners. So, and when yeah, you but- mentioned Nick Watkins, just I, I'm okay with playing young guys at receiver and corner and running back because you're probably going to recruit somebody just as good. There's,
0: there's. Fifth year guys aren't good. You don't have good fifth year receivers, running backs, and corners that didn't get hurt. Yeah, is the way to say it. Like Remo McKnight would not have. He didn't redshirt. He got hurt as a senior. Sierra Wood left.
2: I mean, it's it's like okay, you redshirted Tony Jones. That's great. Um, you know, is Tony Jones going to be a fifth year player here? Probably not, based on the number of fifth year seniors that have been at the position. But Julian Okwara, Jameer Jones, Spencer Perry. Um, you know, you could throw That's a really Khalid Kareem in there, obviously, that we've talked about, and then Javon McKinley as well. Like those are guys that never really had a chance. Um, and there was not there wasn't a need. They didn't have a rash of injuries at those positions. Um I think you could t- I think when we went to Culver and watched McKinley practice
1: one time, yeah, I mean, we some, knew he was a long some, way away. Somebody
2: was gonna be the ninth receiver. You didn't need, but and then you didn't need to play him. Stepherson was obviously right. way ahead, and Chase Claypool was just built differently. Than the thing everybody is, else. they
1: don't play. You know, you want all these receivers because you have you know three wide-out spots on the field. But unless somebody gets hurt, they don't ever come off the field, no, so you don't, don't use your depth.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's but I mean, like Jalen Elliott, that was a great use. I mean, I realize it didn't work out right. You had but to play him. That was a smart play, even though he didn't play a ton on defense. I get that. I mean, the obvious ones. Look, Julian Love, Stepherson, Um you know Claypool was—that's totally fine. Yeah, he, he made s- he a significant. Saw real reps. He did something. Um, you know Dante Vaughn. Yes. Well, Chase Claypool Dylan was Hayes, obviously your,
0: one of your best special teams players. So, yeah, I mean, he was a guy you had to yeah. have out there on special teams. That's not burning a year. Right. That is. You can't... There's people who often talk on both sides of their mouth. Why are we burning a year on special teams? Why do our special teams stink? You need your <laughs> yeah, that's, fastest, that's, strongest that's, guy out there That's
1: utilizing teams. an asset yeah, is right. what Chase that Claypool was. Chase Claypool
2: is mm-hmm. helping your special teams. Javon McKinley was
0: burning a year on special yeah, teams. that's a good that's, call. I think that's probably a good way to look at it. Where are we at? J-Law won with Fickle taking the Cincy job. Do you think Urban comes after Elston as well as Sanford? If he did, which would be the bigger one? <laughs> Urban comes. Yeah. At, Urban comes after everybody. Yeah. Um
2: Guys, I'm I'm leaving to go cover Ohio State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a call from Urban this morning. Um, I think Mike Sanford. That would be well. Also, Alabama's in the market for offensive coordinator. Um, and what? No one can win there. Like you make that move. Like <laughs> what jobs are get are tracking you for a head coach more than Ohio State and Alabama right now?
1: So he absolutely has to be named the play caller at Notre Dame for him to stay.
2: Mike Sanford, I would say yes. And I think, like, and it wouldn't just be a defensive move. It would be like, hey, this would be a good thing for our offense. Like, regardless of it what should, was happening. It,
1: right, also, it shouldn't have yeah. taken Alabama and Ohio State's interest. Come
0: to this. He is not looking to leave, Mike Sanford, but he will leave. If Urban Meyer and Nick Saban offers him the offensive coordinator job and Brian Kelly doesn't offer him the play calling offensive <laughs> coordinator job. And so would everybody listening to this oh you my know, God. right now. Uh, I mean, it's clear. Yeah, and, and that would be a real shame because we never. All right,
2: but who's
1: the cool. bigger loss? Because um, Mike Elston was
2: our unanimous
1: assistant coach of the year, right? Yeah. Well, he was, yeah. Yes, he
0: was, but Mike Sanford
1: didn't have a chance to be. No, right, exactly. No, <laughs> I understand that. I understand.
2: I think, you know. I'd probably go Elston. Because he's recruiting coordinator and it's... Because he's a recruiting you know, like, coordinator and there's, there's multiple And because we have no idea how good
1: Sanford would be as a play caller? Yeah, we don't.
2: Um, <laughs> Sanford is still... A, there's a lot of potential there. We know he's a really good quarterbacks coach. Um, Elston, he's a backup quarterback. Yeah, right Elston, now. I think you look at <laughs> and think, okay, good linebackers coach. I could be good. I
1: thought the linebacker...
2: Yeah, that was, was one of the position. best coaches. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and right. recruiting coordinator is, is good. You know, is it, um, it Vinny Serato? No, but it's good. Um, so he's, he's an asset to what you're doing. Like, Notre Dame getting back on track, I would say that Mike Elston and Mike Sanford are both part of that solution. I agree. Um, so they would both be losses. Now, Mike Elston wants to be a DC somewhere, and he wants to be a head coach eventually somewhere else. Um, if... Could he make a move similar to Tony Alford to be like, you know what, I've I've hit a plateau here where I'm sort of seen as like a, <coughs> a support assistant coach opposed to a lead assistant coach? Maybe. I mean, that that's, I think you'd have to at least
0: evaluate that. Assistant coaches get poached off of 65 and 5 staffs pretty quickly. That's yeah. what happens. Mm-hmm. You look at Urban Meyer's assistants you say, they must be doing a great job because they never lose games, so let's give them a job. <laughs> It's totally to natural. Play young players, yeah. they have no problem.
2: Um, you know, with, with Elston, I think a, one difference from Sanford and Alford is that Mike Elston, I think, has been with Brian Kelly for yeah, s- that's a 13 difference. years. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's a big difference. He, and I, I can tell you that he is also not looking to actively leave right. Notre Dame um, just based on his comfort level here.
0: I think I agree with that they both kind of get snubbed if they don't get play calling and coordinator jobs. At Notre Dame. That's what it yeah. is. I know Mike Sanford's the offensive coordinator, but if he's not the play caller, it's a snub. And if Mike Elston has to be retained on the staff and is not the defensive coordinator, <laughs> it's hard for him not to think that. And you? what's that's the team? reaction
2: going to be if Mike Elston is named defensive coordinator? That's, I mean, that's yeah. an interesting way to look at it because it's like, okay, how big of a loss would it be for Elston to leave to be D.C. at Ohio State? I think a big loss. And then how much of a gamble would it be for Brian Kelly to name him defensive yeah. coordinator? Also, A big. huge gamble. Um, so... I don't know. He's in a tough spot. I I don't know if you can do a, a Denbrock type of situation there, and can you have an assistant head coach and an associate head coach? Hell yeah! Why not? that's, what, that's why they came up with associate titles. Just give them out. Um, <laughs> Make at least put. I think you have to. You have to put Elston in more of a leadership role next year. If that is defensive coordinator, that's a gamble. Um, but he's got to have more say. And more input about what you're doing in the program. Yeah,
1: and does the title actually give you that leadership, or do you just make more money? Yeah, I don't know. Probably both. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to make both. Both mistakes. would be good. Buffalo <laughs> Irish one. Which freshman needs to make freshman with an A, not an E? Which freshman needs to oh, make the biggest okay. jump in their second year? I say that yeah. because
0: if because I was about to name eleven, God, goodness. if it was only
1: one, if it was only one freshman that needed to make a huge jump.
0: So if there's one, I'd say Dylan Dale yeah, Hayes. Dalen Hayes has to become one of the three best players on the defense next year because they need a pass rusher Oof. they can't get anywhere near an opposing quarterback to influence a play to end poorly for the offense you need daylon hayes to make a play um if you're adding to that i would just start going on the front seven with khalid kareem julian aquara uh i don't know what name the rest of them. i've got nine <laughs> nine names out here and eight of them are defense either Jalen <laughs> elliott or devin stud still has to be on that list uh you know Troy Pride and Dante Pride. Vaughn and yeah. Julia Love all need to keep improving, but they need to get a pass rush. And failing the pass rush, Khalid Kreen needs to become a really good football player. So
2: let me. I'm going to go outside the box then and give the combo Eichenberg kramer because if one of those makes a huge jump and can become your starting right tackle, then Alex Bars mm. becomes your starting right guard. And then your offensive no, lineman looks a little bit more athletic, probably powerful. And I think you just have better fits at all five positions than you did this year. You improved two positions. You're right. If you do that,
1: yeah, and that's you know, I, I, it's, we're all looking on the defensive side of the football. You do well, that, except you lose for the offensive lineman, yeah. we're, yeah. uh, we're looking at trenches and defense. But um, I mean, obviously, I know, I know, Pete definitely wants to see Claypool really emerge yes. <laughs> at at receiver next year, and I think he has he has an opportunity, a chance to do that.
2: Yeah. All uh, right. We have some Twitter questions. The first one is from Matt Miller, and he wants to know, what was the most interesting part to you about the 30 for 30 Catholics versus convicts, and what was the most surprising part? Uh, you know, I,
1: I lived this. I, I worked it, and I feel like, man, I missed a lot while that was going on. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know... I mean I wasn't really aware of all the thing I was aware of the shirt certainly but I wasn't uh, aware of all the drama behind the scenes but I guess the biggest surprise for me is the captain of the basketball team Joe Frederick was front and center involved in this I, I what would happen today if that were the case I what would you know, happen I mean if, if
2: Steve I... Astoria put out a shirt it's kind of hard <laughs> to get your head around that happening isn't it <laughs> I mean, Matt Farrell would be like, Oh, I could see Matt Farrell doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but <laughs> yeah. The, the
1: personalities of Vestoria uh, compared to Joe Frederick, who is very outgoing as he is still today. Yeah. I mean, I, did I, I, you know, I that I, that couldn't happen today. No,
0: I only knew about that because I interviewed Joe Frederick a couple of years ago for something different, and he offered to me that 30 for 30 was coming out, and yeah. I found it odd that he offered that to me, and then he told me his big part in it, and his backstory. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this but is I, but that, stuff. <laughs> but that's not the basis for the question. I mean, I no, think people yeah, are well, looking more
1: towards the football aspect of it. Yeah, yeah I, probably. I saw it
2: in October um, before the Miami game, and one, I, I had no idea that pass was incomplete. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I covered the game, yeah. and I didn't know it was incomplete. But as I was saying before we went on the air, that was
1: for those that are younger and are only familiar with instant replay, there was no instant replay. There was no thought of instant replay, so you didn't dwell on – Play, they didn't keep showing the same play over and yeah. over again, yeah. yeah. Saying, Oh my god, he didn't catch it. It just you just accepted it. I know it, it no, seems right. impossible now to that catch we did, yeah. but that was just the way it's grilled a touchdown. You move on to the two point
0: yeah. conversion, which is why it was a fumble
1: well exactly exactly and i think there's a lot of gray area with that call anyway but you know miami had like if it was the other way around nordic fans would be just as vociferous about saying it wasn't i, I
0: think my favorite parts um i liked eilers talking about the um pre-game speech and getting choked up and getting up to leave the interview yeah. and getting saying game over game over when mm-hmm. luholsky the speech my, i totally forgot about this but i do remember it happening that Digger ran up the score at Miami in basketball is the greatest thing he's ever done. <laughs> that is hilarious that he beat them by fifty three when Miami beat them by fifty one. Yeah. It was a month later. That I mean, of all the charitable works that guy has done. That is the best thing Dare Phelps has ever accomplished by doing that. Such a Can you imagine that today on Twitter people yeah. would go crazy. Yes, somebody was just murdering an opponent and kept all their guys in dunking at their stadium. Yeah, I, I, I mean it, it harkened back
2: to a time where everyone wasn't so damn offended. Yes, exactly. damn
1: you know, just... and I look at uh, and I, again, I was I was working for the '88 Miami game and I was working for the '93 Florida State game, and they were. I mean, I, I have a difficult time saying that the '88 game was bigger. I understand because of the emotion toward Miami
0: hatred was made it. At-
1: but the so. week of Florida yeah. State? I was at Lou Holtz's... This is just impossible. <laughs> this is impossible.
2: I, I, I almost don't believe you. I right?
1: was at yeah. Lou Holtz's house the night before the Notre Dame-Florida State <laughs> game. I was in his basement with Regis Philbin and all these people the night before.
2: In a in a professional, like, sort of media gathering, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: I mean, that is impossible. That couldn't yeah. possibly happen i don't know where brian kelly's house is and i never will
0: <laughs> i have 365 days to find it so the one thing um i want to throw on that you know the florida state i don't we're really getting off topic here florida state the week before the game sports illustrated's week before the game preview the cover was notre dame florida state is next week oh, wow. so the cover of sports illustrated coming out before the game was previewing <laughs> notre dame florida state I wow. still have it. So and then they, they were on back-to-back covers. And They're I can remember, cover, you yeah. know, and
1: again, the whole media aspect. I mean, the, the whole week was just jam-packed. I and, and, well, you know how my memory is. But, I mean, I, it seems like I remember, like, <laughs> it wasn't, like, post-practice. It was, like, during the day. Like, mm-hmm. they were interrupting the schedules of the oh. players to meet with the, the media through, through the week.
2: I, I enjoyed the clips of the Miami-Michigan game. This, growing up in Michigan, I was eleven years old, I actually remember watching that game and how pissed off Michigan fans were that I knew. Um so that was kind of cool. And I, I love the the anecdote about them going there and like throwing a shirt in the locker room. Yes. I don't I didn't even care if that happened right. or not. That's it was amazing. just a good story. Um yeah, so there was I don't I really liked the how the Miami players came off in it as well. Cleveland Gary, Leon Searcy, Steve Walsh. I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody, but like I, I just sort of liked the tone of the whole Documentary because one of the things around Notre Dame that can happen is everything is so heavy and serious, and this was fun. Right, it was. It was just sort of a fun look back at something that was like crazy hot and just there was so much hatred and seriousness back then. You can look back now and be like, man, that was a good time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and And I appreciated that tone of the way the story was told. Yeah, and I think the only game since Florida State that's anything like that, and you guys will both attest because Pete, you would not just started, but four years in, was yeah. uh, was USC. No, that that so week, too. you have to have hatred. wasn't the same level of hatred, but their excellence was there. There was a level of excellence. I feel like Florida State was the one-year, they were good for a while, but they seemed like the one-year team where Notre Dame fans thought, you know what, we, we can beat Florida State. The Miami and USC ones were just like, this is going to be... Yeah, Even though Notre Dame was like a 4-point underdog to Miami in that game, it seemed like a seismic upset because Miami was had been so good for so long. <laughs> And that would have happened if they beat USC, too. Yeah. It would have, But you don't get many of those games. You know, I don't. No, That's, you why don't. So That's why they're so the good. games of the century.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're actually going to wrap it up there. We've got some other Twitter questions. We'll save those for next week as our podcast. I think we're hitting about the hour mark here. Um, so I'm, I'm getting the hook from Jack Freeman, our producer. Uh, so until then... Tim Priester. Tim O'Malley, (laughs) Pete Sampson. You've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back next Monday. Send your complaints to (laughs) get.
1: My bills are all
0: due and the baby needs shoes and I'm busted. Cotton it down to a quarter of a pound, but I'm busted. I got a cow that went dry
1: and a hen that...